0: I'm Catherine Arndt, the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. Welcome to today's episode, brought to you by the VLGA, your councillor support network and the national broadcaster on all things local government.
1: Well, hello everyone. It's TGU time from VLGA Connect. Chris Eddie with you and I'm delighted to have Julie Reed joining me today. Hello, Julie.
0: Good morning. How are you, Chris?
1: I'm going very well, thank you. And a big hello to all our viewers and listeners. Uh, thank you for having us on your device. We're on uh, YouTube, of course, and also on that myriad of uh, podcast platforms and we know a lot of people are hanging out, particularly to hear your take on things, Julie I have to say. So they'll be very pleased to see you back after you were away uh, working uh, across the state last week. I know. And Tony is in Bangkok, of all places, uh, this week for, he said, a conference, a lawyer's conference. I hope that's going well for it. (laughs) It
0: sounds fantastic.
1: Now, but you, uh, before we hit record, were telling me uh, you're picking up on a real buzz around Melbourne. You're you're a bit of a concert goer by the sounds of it, are you, Julie? Oh, I am,
0: Chris. I love my music and, uh, you know, Melbourne is full of international acts coming in at the moment, so I'm sure that the economy is buzzing in Melbourne at the moment. We had Sting here last night. We've got Ed Sheeran next next week at the uh, the MCG, so it's great to be able to have these big acts again and great to be able to celebrate, um, what is an amazing city.
1: How was Sting?
0: Oh, phenomenal.
1: Yep. Good. <laughs> and, and you're going to Ed Sheeran as well?
0: No, no. You're not. not? Oh. Damn. But yeah, Sting, Sting is one of my favorites and, uh, he's got this incredible ability to be able to adapt, um, as each, as each decade goes on with his music and, uh, An amazing, uh, amazing talent that at the age of 71, let's hope I'm as active as that. Wow. Wow i 'm seventy one that's all I can say chris
1: <laughs> it shouldn't surprise me but uh but for some reason it does that he's uh, that he's seventy one I think uh we've got a spin off podcast in the making here Julie's take on uh, the big musical acts <laughs> that come to town. Stay tuned for more of that, but we are here. you might be forgiven for thinking uh we're here to talk about local government and uh, what's been happening around the sector, not just in Victoria but more broadly this week, and there's been a bit happening. Uh, Julie, uh, I want to start with a report that's come out this week from the Victorian Auditor General. A couple of reports, actually. There's one on pool safety, uh, but this one uh, that came out, I think, the day after is uh, a general look at how councils performed with their annual reporting for the 21-22 year and some interesting observations, one being... Uh, the Auditor-General has said there seem to be more errors in council reports than uh, previously seen. What do you put that down to, Julie?
0: Yeah, look, Chris, I think there was a lot of talk in there about, you know, the changeover of staff and the need to bring staff up to speed and the lack of staff. So, again, this is a trend that's happening across the sector. You know, we're regularly losing staff in the sector and it's just, you know, it's so difficult for these teams, I think, to... Uh, make sure that that they're on top of everything and that there's really good quality control. So we can see how the turnover of staff now is affecting um, the way that local government deliver the service. I mean, I think it is pretty unusual um, to see this in terms of the errors and in terms of those that maybe haven't put, put the documents in on time. Um, so let's hope that it's just mm. a blip and that, you know, coming out next year, might
1: be an improvement. Yeah, so you talk about some of them not being on time. I think there were 10 councils that didn't finalise their reports by the 31st of October, which meant they couldn't meet that legislative responsibility to present it to a council meeting, an open public council meeting uh, during the month of October. Uh, There were another nine that didn't have their audit opinions finalised in time, so that had the same effect in not being able to present those reports.
0: Yeah, and I think they said that there's been a shortage of auditors as well.
1: Yes. So they're yeah. talking
0: about a shortage of staff in that finance sector, which I was a bit surprised about because I didn't think the finance sector was one where there were um, shortages of staff. So that's news to me, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, and and not just in Victoria, but nationwide from what I read in terms of finance and accounting professionals. And I think they're shooting a lot of that still back to uh, post-pandemic sort of recovery. And we've talked about a lot of uh, areas of the local government sector that are inf- impacted by labour shortage. Well, here's one, obviously, as you say, that's a bit of a surprise impacting on the, uh, the financial um, sector. There was something buried in there too, also about a disconnect between finance teams and other teams within council organisations. I mean, we've both worked in and at the top of council organisations and we can understand how frustrating that sort of silo uh, issue is to deal with?
0: Yes, it is, Chris. And I think I'm seeing this across the sector. It's not just one council that has, you know, these silo issues. It's 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 embedded in all of, you know, all of the councils that I've seen and worked in. Um, you know, there, there needs to be better connection across those departments within the councils. Um, It's interesting, one of the the difficult, um, and this led me to think about one of the really difficult issues that council's facing at the moment is around developer contributions plans. And certainly the planning industry are well on top of this particular challenge. But but DCPs are created in the planning department and then um, there's support provided to administer these DCPs within the planning department and then it's the finance department that have to actually manage the cash flow and, and all of the records around what is um, what is contributed. And there's there's a ministerial direction that has to be that those uh, finance departments have to report back to the minister on how things are going in the DCP. Now, it's very, very complex. Um, there um, are um, very few consultants around that are specialist in this In this space but I know of at least one who's doing a lot of really good work in this space Um, but I think developer contributions plans are a bit of a sleeper there's quite a few councils that are wanting to implement them but there's huge cost in bringing them in and um, you know it's look I'm a little bit surprised that maybe the system hasn't been reviewed There there was a Vargo report Um, speaking of Vargo, Vargo report a couple of years ago that said that the system really needed fixing and we haven't seen anything come forward yet around that so I would be um, interested to know whether there are any uh, plans to change the system before councils spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on developing these developer contributions plans to try and get some funding to fund their infrastructure improvements so that's one of the things that was a spin-off from thinking about the yeah. finance challenges this morning
1: that um uh, that, that makes sense to me and i'm sure there's been talk about reviewing that whole dcp regime but uh, perhaps political cycles it's sort of got pushed down the list maybe we can see it come forward in the next year or so
0: I think the councils would like to see something come forward. It needs to be a much more simplified system. It's far too complicated at the moment. And it's it's these kinds of things that are dragging those finance teams down <laughs> that, you know, have so much to focus on. Uh, so, and also the planning teams. So I think, yeah, that's one of the things. The other observation I've had, Chris, is around grants, mm-hmm. um, around the lack of grants that might be floating around at the moment for local government and also... The administration that's required for these grants are councils now, particularly maybe those small councils saying, this is just too complicated, let's not go down this route of applying for this grant because there's too much, too much paperwork and too much accountability around some of this, is it really worth it at the end of the day, so another challenge.
1: On, absolutely. On the developer contributions, people might like to look to Western Australia this week, where the government there has just announced a new tranche of planning reforms, which have not gone over well with the local government sector. Uh, developer contributions, I think, are part of what they're looking at dealing with and developments um, more broadly. Councils through their peak um, body are saying uh, there's a loss of voice to communities in these uh, proposals, which the government is introducing to Parliament a later this year. I'll present a bit more about that on the local government news roundup, but it's a linked topic and it might be an interesting one to watch for any other state that's thinking of going down the path of overhauling these systems.
0: Yeah, and there are proposals that are coming from the state government around planning reform, um, and there have been some concerns voiced by the sector uh, previously around that. So we're waiting to see where that that lands. So stay tuned for that one. I've got my ear to the ground on that one.
1: All right. And no doubt we'll be talking about that uh, when there's more to say. The uh, the potential uh, voter fraud issue in the City of Moreland election from 2020, of course it's Marybeck now, but it was Moreland uh, then, that hearing has wrapped up according to uh, media reports this week and the VEC has made a submission that the election results should not be thrown out um, as the former councillor, the councillor who uh, resigned has now been replaced, um, but the VEC did say, or is of the view that that uh, former councillor, um, councillor former councillor El Halabi, was unduly elected through fraud- fraudulent votes. So it'll be interesting now to see, Julie, what the uh, the tribunal chooses to do here. The judge has reserved his decision, but it is open to the VEC to throw the result out entirely. And, and Julie, some of the parties have been quite critical about the length of time it's taken to get to this point, the elections in October 2020. And here we are more than two years on and we still don't have a resolution.
0: I know. And... Look, I don't, I don't remember things taking so long, so it must have been a very, very long and complicated process that they had to go through. But surely there must be a quicker way of being able mm. to work through some of these challenges. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I don't know, I. Yeah, look, that's probably the only comment that I've got to make in relation to that. It's, it's really um, a tricky. It's a tricky situation to be in for the VEC. Um, There's probably um, a great amount of evidence that needs to be collected. Um, We know once these things go into the legal system, it often takes time for them to come out the other end.
1: Yeah, yes, indeed. Uh, we don't really know the ins and outs of that process, but uh, hopefully we're getting to the pointy end now that uh, the submissions have wrapped up and the judges reserved a decision. We'll wait to see how long it takes to hear an outcome. Mm. The uh, South Australian story that we've been following has taken a it few is. twists and turns over the couple of weeks that we've known about it. Those mayors and councillors that lost office, they have lost office uh, formally, look like they're getting a last minute reprieve because the government did decide to bring in some legislation this week. I think yesterday, as we record this, it was introduced to the parliament. Uh, It's expected to pass the lower house this week. What it will do is give those 45 odd uh, councillors 10 days to get their campaign donation returns in and uh, thereby save their positions.
0: Yeah, Kristen. I suppose in a way it's a little bit disappointing because it shouldn't be again the state government driving, you know, a solution for local government. You know, we shouldn't have been in this situation in the first place. And it's I'm just disappointed that we are. We've landed here, yeah. And you know, the state government have come to save the day. You know, not not a great not a great situation really. And you know, yeah. those councillors are very very lucky that. The government are going to put in that time to change the legislation. Now, whether or not there's been a lot of lobbying going on in the background around that. There has. yeah, Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming that's been the case. So, you know, but is it really fair that they be given a second chance? Is the question.
1: Well, I think that logically here, uh, you know, people uh, who are much closer to this are saying there were issues with the process, it wasn't clear, one side saying uh, it was confusing, the other saying there was lots of advice and notice Given put that to one side, the upshot of this is a cost on those councils of hundreds of thousands of dollars to run additional elections to fill those positions. So if you put yourself in the government's position, um, it's a it's a no uh, no lose scenario really here to come in and fix the problem and save those ratepayers from those costs. I would have thought.
0: Yeah, looking, Chris, I, I agree with it from that point of view. It's just the disappointment of we're, yes. we're in this space and, and council, local councils have had to be bailed out, you know. But yeah. I yeah. understand and I appreciate the cost and, and certainly we don't want to be burdening the communities with that kind of cost.
1: Yeah, so a lucky break, I think, for those uh, three mayors and uh, 42 councillors. The numbers shifted a little bit in the reporting, but I think it's settled on 45 as a total. So that was this week's development. Now, an interesting one out of Sydney, uh, Julie, and a couple of people have made me aware of this story. It was uh, published in the Sydney Morning Herald yesterday. Um, and, and this is a potential test case. So Safe Work New South Wales has imposed... A, an improvement notice on the City of Parramatta, and it relates to the behaviour of councillors towards staff. So the complaints or the allegations are that councilor behaviour, um, not just towards staff actually, but amongst their amongst their their cohort, including yelling, ridicule, intimidation, etc., is creating a psychologically unsafe workplace. And these are these new provisions OHS wise that have come into effect. And therefore, I think potentially a test case going on here with Parramatta.
0: Yeah, look, I was really tuned into this, Chris, and really interested to see how this legislation is going to work and what kind of outcomes are going to come from it, because I think that there's some real learnings in that for Victoria. Um, Look, you know, can I just say, no wonder there's a turnover of staff, you know, because in circumstances like this, you know, what I'm finding is staff particularly at those senior levels they you know if they get treated like this then they're going to have a gutful and they're going to say right enough is enough the grass is greener on the other side and they're going to move on somewhere else and same with ceos so you know um, councillors do have a responsibility chris to make sure that they do look after um, the people and and treat the people within their organizations uh, with respect Um, and how they want to be treated themselves. You know, it's it's a mutual benefit. They need to work together as a team, and they can't be treating people like this because they will just walk. They will lose good people. And that's, you know, probably what's happening in Parramatta. Uh, People will not put up with it. They'll either, you know, report it or they'll go.
1: Well, the Sydney Morning Herald story suggests that the previous general manager or CEO who departed, I think, last year... Uh, that it was largely due, according to the story, due to councillor behaviour. And I'll just make the point again that part of the behaviour here is from councillors towards other councillors as well as by councillors towards members of staff. And you're right, there is some discussion about a higher level of staff turnover than you might normally expect, uh, particularly at the senior levels, because of those uh, behaviours that are alleged but are obviously being taken very seriously by Safe Work New South Wales. And I
0: think this counsellor to counsellor behaviour is really important as well, Chris, because you know there will be counsellors that will will use their voice and will not tolerate that, but there will be counsellors that will uh, retreat and not and in fear of retribution, I suppose, and they will not say anything. But I think there's more and more discussion now about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, and these kind of cases are really good for counsellors to talk about um, because it opens up that dialogue about what is acceptable, you know, in terms of behaviour towards each other.
1: We hear a lot of talk about this sort of behaviour happening at councils, not all councils, but some, which gives uh, perhaps a a disproportionate sense of of the behaviour across the sector as a whole. But having seen this start to play out, I wonder how many more now are going to use this as a tool, whether they'll sit back and wait to see what happens or whether we're going to just, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg here.
0: Yeah, no, that's great, Chris. And it's great that, that you're bringing this to the attention um, of people on this show. I think that we need to try and get the word out there that this is a really, really important case for um, all of local government to be watching. Uh,
1: another one out of New South Wales. This is fascinating. There's a parliamentary inquiry into uh, alleged impropriety at the Hills Shire Council, which is connected with uh uh, the the inquiry connected with liberal party members and property developers there are three people that the inquiry is trying to serve to appear before the inquiry one of them a councillor at hills shire she cannot be found has not been seen for a couple of weeks or something like a couple of weeks along with her son and another person according to the abc one server has spent 17 hours around the deniliquin area uh, just across the border, of course, from uh, Victoria, looking for councillor Alice and her son, unsuccessfully, as it turns out. So these uh, people certainly appear to be doing every they can, everything they can to avoid appearing in front of this inquiry.
0: Yeah, very interesting, Chris. Let's hope, that, hope they're not in Bangkok and the, uh, Tony bumps <laughs> into them. <laughs>
1: So uh, just a fascinating story, that one. The parliamentary inquiry is continuing this week, and I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about that. But I've never heard of uh, a hunt for a councillor before like this, where uh, a a sitting councillor cannot be found, did not attend the uh, council meeting, obviously, that occurred at the Hillshire this week.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's that's. I don't think I've heard that in thirty-three years in local government.
1: And now, those are my main stories this week. Let's go to your pick of the week because I know you do keep an eye on what's happening in the UK. You used to work there a bit, didn't you?
0: I did, and yeah. and sometimes I miss it, Chris. Um, yeah. I, I love the vibe in London, and and um, you know, I did, I did a seven years in the UK. So I do watch very closely what's happening with councils in the UK.
1: There's no shortage of things to look at with councils in the UK at the moment, because there's all sorts of financial troubles from a handful, perhaps more, of councils that are in serious financial difficulty. I think I saw some figures a week or so ago that showed uh, the majority of councils are going to put up rates by the maximum amount they're allowed without going to a referendum, which has caused a lot of press and a lot of Discussion. I think we're talking 5% across the That's board correct, for those Chris. councils. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. You've seen some more broader stats on just how uh, councils are doing financially in the UK at the moment.
0: Yeah, Chris, the BBC are reporting um, that oh, they're saying that nine out of 10 major local authorities in England um, did not have enough cash. To cover their spending plans for the year of 2020, and it's getting worse. The coronavirus has really taken its its toll um, and led them um, uh, to a, sort of a 1.7 billion wow. spend over budget. Mm. Um, so it's see. pretty pretty significant. the um, The MPs over in the UK now are sitting up and saying, "Whoa, you know," and they're criticising the Treasury, saying. You know what's this? What's going on in local government? What's this laissez-faire, laissez-faire um, attitude that's happening? Um, what's happening with these town hall debts? So there's a bit of a bit of concern now. Um, that coupled with um, some councils that are looking to put up um, uh, salary or salary increases that are quite high for some very mm. low-paid workers. In the UK, which is also causing the government some problems, because I think that they're putting up, they're proposing to put up um, salaries for those lower paid workers, and it's impacting on what the government are paying, say, you know, uh, school teachers uh, and other, you know, lower yeah. paid Jobs in the UK, so that's causing a few problems. So, but mm. they are saying about five percent that they're looking to raise council tax by. Uh, you were correct in that, um, but it's still not really going to meet uh, what they need for the debts that they they are um, accruing at the moment. So. There's not a very healthy financial position of the UK councils at the moment. There's lots of dilemmas for them. So it's a space worth keeping an eye on to see how they recover or get out of this um, or what the government over there does about it, because um, that yeah. might be a bit of a learning for us here.
1: And then uh, off to one side, there's this um, this bit of a sideshow, my word, going on with this levelling up process. I'm not sure if you've read much about that. Julie, where councils have effectively been forced to compete for leveling up grant funding for particular projects, and in many cases not being successful. So they've put all this effort. It's a bit like what you were talking earlier in the program about that, that whole grants process. Um, and it's been a bit like a competition for, mm. for funding from some of the commentary that I've read. So uh, there's a, a world of hurt going on, I think, in uh, English Council at the moment from a, from a financial point of view.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting to follow and um, I'm heading over there later this year, so I might uh, reach out to a few contacts and see what's really going in behind closed doors. <laughs> Excellent. We're,
1: we'll have to get you uh, as a roving reporter. <laughs> yes, I'd do love that, to. Surely.
0: I can yes. report direct from London
1: deal that's excellent we'll hold you to that um I've got a pick of the week a lovely little story out of Warnham so not far from 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 us for for this particular story where Warrnambool City Council has launched a Unretire the Bull campaign. This is starting to get some media coverage. I saw an ABC story on this in the last 12 hours or so. Um, so, what they've designed here is a program to encourage retired people who still have expertise and skills uh, to consider coming out of retirement, even just for a few hours a week. Uh, to uh, to help with uh, labour market shortages and to re-engage with, uh, with the workforce, which I think is a great little campaign getting underway with an information session in a week or so, because understandably people have questions. What does this mean financially for me, for tax and mm-hmm. for all those sorts um, and super and all those other sorts of um, complications that might appear to be complications? Well, they're going to work through those with people. And I think that's a great idea. Well done, um- Wollongba.
0: I think so too. That's amazing. And even if they just work for, you know, they've got multiple people they can call on to work for short periods of time throughout throughout the week just to help with some of the backlog or, you know, workload. Um, Fantastic idea. Um, I
1: suspect that will be replicated before too long.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe. And it
1: may indeed be something they've picked up from somewhere else, I'm not sure, but uh, well done to them at Warrnambool for that.
0: Yeah, yeah, well done to them.
1: All right. uh, That's our list for today. Julie, anything else you wanted to share with us before we wrap it up?
0: No, I think it's been an interesting week this week. Uh, Chris, um, you know, there's probably hasn't been some really, really heavy hit articles like what there has been in the last few weeks, but certainly some really interesting cases there and um, interesting reports. So uh, again, you know, Another interesting week in local government land.
1: Absolutely, and, and more to come. I do keep an eye on the local government Victoria website where those monitor reports and, uh, will yeah. appear eventually. There's a few monitors in place whose terms, as far as I can tell, would have expired by now. So final reports should be coming. I'm thinking of Darabin as one. But also importantly, as we sit here on the 24th of February, we're only four days away from the Commission of Inquiry into Shire being due to file its report back to the Minister. Of course, that doesn't mean we'll know what it says on the 28th of Feb, mm-hmm. but hopefully not too far after that, we'll get yeah, a sense yeah. of what might be occurring there. So I reckon there'll be some, some bigish news to talk about in the next week or two.
0: Yeah, I think you're right, Chris. There's a lot coming.
1: All right, Julie, thank you. Great to catch up and uh, good to have you on the uh, TGU. I do need to thank Hunt & Hunt Lawyers, our sponsors uh, of the program, and uh, Tony Ranick, I think, will be back with us next week. Uh, I'm sure he'll have some Bangkok stories uh, to tell us. Uh, to our viewers and listeners, thank you for joining us on the program from VLGA Connect, and we look forward to having you back with us very soon. Bye for now.